Fathers, we come to your word. We ask that you would now use it to shape us and mold us and transform us. Ultimately, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, who is our only hope in life and death. We thank you that through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we ask you simply today, will you sanctify us in the truth of your word? Your word is truth, Father. So will you use it today to edify your church, glorify your name? We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. 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 You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. If you've been here for the last several weeks, we've sort of been leading up to a bit of a change uh, in regards to our worship gatherings on Sunday mornings, where uh, generally speaking, going forward, our main preaching text on Sunday morning uh, is not going to be on the screen behind me because we want it to be in a Bible in front of you. We want to encourage uh, personal engagement with the Word of God uh, in the year ahead and in the years ahead. So uh, just so as you know, going forward, as you come in, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we always have Bibles available here. If you don't own a Bible, you take that Bible with you as you go. Uh, but generally speaking, our main preaching text will not be on the screen behind me. We want that to be in the Bible in front of you. Uh, we'll have a few supplementary texts that appear on the screen. Some of the longer texts that we're going to read this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in Scripture. So parents in particular, if your kids are here, they don't know how to navigate their Bible, this is a great opportunity for you to sit there with them, help them find these things in God's Word on their own. And there's a reason for this, which we're going to dive into a lot this morning. Uh, Much time and energy has already been spent outlining the many frustrations of the year 2020. Uh, I think we've heard plenty uh, about what 2020 wasn't and all the ways that it's let us down. Uh, But for our family, one of the bright spots of the year 2020 was the release of the Mandalorian series on Disney+. Plus. So if you're like me, I was a lifelong Star Wars fan and growing up, Boba Fett was always my favorite Star Wars character. So the idea of a a bounty hunter, a TV series based on a bounty hunter like Boba Fett, of Fett was really appealing to me. And, and listen, if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, uh, I do sports things pretty much the rest of the year. Today's about the nerds, okay? So uh, Star Wars fans, this is for you today. And so I was so excited to see this come on. And so uh, in the show, the Mandalorians live by this very strict code of honor. And uh, this is in order to protect and preserve their legacy, their heritage, and their reputation. And most often that code is affirmed by what has become a very famous four-word mantra. And what is that mantra, Mandalorian fans? This is the way. Here I thought all the nerds were in the second service, and you're right here with me today. And so we're, this is for you this morning. This is your moment. So... When it comes down to preserving themselves or preserving their code of honor, ultimately it's the code that's upheld and they choose to face the danger head on, clearly affirming that mantra, this is the way. As followers of Jesus Christ, we also have a code that we've been called to uphold. We have a creed that we've been called to uphold. We have a way that we've been called to follow, but our way is not just a set of principles, our way is a person. Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, he makes this declaration, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
But while the way for followers of Jesus has been clearly revealed, many modern professing Christians seem to be confused or unconvinced. A few weeks ago, I shared with you some troubling statistics from Ligonier Ministries' State of Theology survey that was conducted in 2020. Uh, This is something that they do on a biannual basis. If you've not looked this up already, I would encourage you to do that uh, on the Ligonier website. And uh, there's a number of troubling trends that were revealed uh, that came out as the result of this survey. Among professing followers of Christ surveyed, uh, 42% agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 30% indicated that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he was not God. And 48% agree that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Among professing followers of Christ... Many today, it's become abundantly clear, have lost sight of the way. In many ways, the lines between the world and the church have so been blurred that you can hardly tell the difference between the two. And studies like these reveal that in many cases, professing followers of Christ think no differently than the rest of the world when it comes to absolute truth, when it comes to the nature of sin, when it comes to human morality, when it comes to God's design for gender and sexuality. And it all starts because there has been an eroding confidence and an understanding in the word of God. The result of this is that the church is under-discipled, the world is under-evangelized, and billions of people across the world are being deceived and are perishing for eternity apart from Christ. Church, in the year 2021, we find ourselves in a watershed moment where instead of the church being reformed according to the truth of God's word, the church in many ways is redefining the truth in accordance with the world's values. And this is leading us to only one potential path that we're going to see this morning as we open up Psalm chapter 1. So to kick off this new year this morning, what I want to do is I want to call us to return to the way. I want to call us to return to the way as it has been revealed to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ and as it's been preserved for us in the pages of Scripture. And I want to challenge us in the year ahead to be a people who recover serious devotion to the things of the Lord and the power and the authority of his word. Psalm chapter 1 really lays the foundation for the entire book of Psalms by placing a heavy emphasis on the word of God. The Psalms uh, were essentially the hymn book of the nation of Israel and of the early church. And like us today, the songs that they sang were a reflection of the things that they valued. So if you uh, were to read through all the Psalms, you would quickly recognize that chief among the things that were valued among the people of God was the word of God itself. Psalm 119 lays smack dab in the middle of your Bible. It's the longest chapter in all the Bible. And shocker, the longest chapter in all of the Bible is a song about the Bible. They valued and they cherished above all else God's word. And here in Psalm 1, we're given a picture of two distinct groups, those who value the word of God and those who don't. And those very different groups are taking very different paths that will lead to very different places. Psalm 1 shows us that the righteous will prosper in every season, but the wicked will perish on the day of judgment. So let's read again from the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight. Everyone say delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we see two very different, two very distinct ways that are presented to us uh, in Psalm chapter one. The first that we're gonna look at this morning is the way of the righteous. It's the way of the righteous. The promise for the righteous in verse one is that they are blessed. The literal translation here is happy. It comes from the Latin term beatus. It's the same term that we get the word beatitude from. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, to describe true happiness. So uh, those of you who were with us back in the fall, we just, uh, in mid-December, we wrapped up walking through the book of Philippians, a message series called Invincible Joy. Because what we said in that message series was what we were after as followers of Jesus was not a happiness that was fleeting and contingent on circumstances. We wanted joy that was invincible regardless of circumstances, and that's what we find in Christ. But while we want to be people of true, invincible, supernatural joy, it would be wrong of us to say that God is unconcerned with our happiness. And we see this in Psalm chapter 1, happy, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So this is the way of the righteous. We see first that they do not follow ungodly counsel. Happy is the man who does not follow the instruction of those who contradict the counsel of the word of God. The wicked here would be defined as those who live in rebellion to the revealed word of God, have instruction and counsel to offer, and ultimately those who take their advice will not find happiness. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, this is the tactic that's used by Satan against Eve as he promises her happiness in the garden. If you eat this, your eyes will be opened to new knowledge and you'll be like God. And it all started when he got her to doubt the integrity and the authority of God's word. This is how we see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Did God actually say, did God actually say you shall not eat any of any tree in the garden? Is that what he really said? Did he specifically address this? He counseled her to eat, promising the fruit would bring her happiness. But the happiness, this doesn't result in satisfaction in God. Ultimately, it results in separation from God. So today, even within the church, there's those who offer this same ungodly counsel and their tactics remain exactly the same. It's to get you to question the authority and the integrity of God's word. It's to get you deceiving you and believing that you can obtain divine knowledge that God's word doesn't contain and to promise you happiness if you follow through. I want to give you an example of this this morning. And I'm going to admit right away that this is uh, an extreme example, but this is someone who uh, has made a lot of headway in the culture, has been a best-selling author, has been uh, a so-called pastor, and I say that very much tongue-in-cheek this morning. You'll see why here in just a moment. But uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber professes to be a a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. She's openly, uh, brazenly, and even uh, just just very very brazenly just insulted scripture, uh, uh, anything that she feels isn't personally best for people to follow. And I want to read for you an excerpt of an interview that she did uh, with a man named Kevin Garcia, whose website describes her as a pastor who stands against scripture, encourages sin, believes that all people will be saved, and constantly uses foul language. This is how this website describes her. And the title of this interview was Making Sex Shameless. And this is an excerpt from Nadia as she detailed a relationship experience that she went through. She said, so what happened was I get divorced like the most amicable divorce you can imagine. No lawyers, no acrimony. It was great, right? It was like really, really lovely. But I get together with my boyfriend and start having sex and I was like, holy expletive. I was like, it felt like an exfoliation of my whole spirit. I'm like, this is so good for my brain chemistry and my body and my heart. And I'm like, expletive, man. 
Why in the world would the church say, don't do this? Like I could tell it was what I needed and it was so good. Now, anybody who's read the Bible knows that she openly contradicts about a half dozen biblical commands and, and principles here. In one paragraph, she affirms even celebrates divorce. She, she affirms premarital sex. She affirms vulgar language. She contradicts the word of God. She calls evil good. And what is the tactic? Question and undermine the authority of the word of God. Deceive you into believing that the church doesn't know what it's talking about and you're missing out and promise you happiness if you will follow through. Church, the tactics have never changed. They have always been the same, but Psalm 1 here shows us the opposite here. Happy are those who walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Happy are those who avoid the counsel of the wicked. Proverbs 14 shows it to us like this. The house of the wicked will be destroyed. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to man. It seems right. It appears right. It looks right. It sounds right. It feels right. But what does this way lead to? Its end is the way to death. That's why we are warned in the second half of Psalm 1-1, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, because that way is ultimately leading to death. Happy is the one who does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. So uh, the righteous do not follow ungodly counsel. Second, they do not join ungodly community. The entire way of the ungodly, those who reject the word of God, is corrupt. There are even those who are described as scoffers who not only reject the word of God, but actually will openly mock the word of God along with those who follow its teachings. Now, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles for just a moment. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So uh, back within uh, the first uh, few, ver- few books of the Bible there, Deuteronomy chapter 6. In just a moment, uh, we're going to read together uh, verses 4 through 9. And the reason I want us to look at this passage is because it's the opposite of what's described for us here in these first couple of verses of Psalm 1. What we see the ideal community of what it looks like to walk and sit and stand in a life, living a life that is immersed in the word of God. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we're going to read together verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the opposite of the community of the ungodly. Those who reject the word and mock the word and live according to their own authority. That's the example that we saw through Nadia Bolsweather just a few moments ago. If you want to know true happiness, you will not join in on their efforts. And all of this language from Psalm 1, this calls us back to what God intended for his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Every single moment of our day, in our, in our living, in our breathing, everything that we would do, we would be immersed in the word of God. Instead, we see the opposite picture here. Back in Psalm chapter 1, looking again at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see the way of the righteous, that the word of God is their source of satisfaction. Psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 103, this is the picture of satisfaction that we see of the psalmist. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I just want to set this in its context for a second. When David wrote those words, he's writing about the Jewish Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. 
Over 600 laws and commands in the Jewish Mosaic law. Some of them, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, I mean, they are uncomfortably pervasive. They reach into the most sensitive areas of our lives. And this seems really weird to us. So, you know, it's a new year and hopefully you have, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, made some sort of plan to read through the word of God this year. And what happens with Bible reading plans is we go charging out of the gates in the months of January and early February because we get to read Genesis and then we get to read Exodus, but then we get to Leviticus. And then suddenly you're reading commands about how people were supposed to treat bodily rashes. And I don't know many people who read those verses and say, that's just sweet as honey to my lips right there. I mean, give me some more of that. Let me shrink this in. But David found delight in these things. He found delight in these things. As new covenant believers, listen, we're no longer bound to uh, the cultural customs and laws of the nation of Israel. The moral laws of Israel have been upheld and continue to today. But the New Testament still gives us very clear commands to follow and list of sins to avoid. And it's not often when the word of God, when the authority of God's word brushes up against our flesh that we say, man, I love that. It doesn't happen very often, and so here's the reason why. It's because sin blinds you to the purpose of the Word of God. Sin blinds you to the purpose of the Word of God. Sin causes you to look at the Bible. It causes you to look at God's commands like a prison cell that's preventing you from knowing true freedom and happiness. This is what we're doing in our modern world as we can continue to redefine the truth of God's Word in accordance with cultural values. So we think to ourselves, we're not free to live as our true selves. We're not free to be our true selves. So we dream of getting out. We dream of freedom. We dream of finding a way to escape. But then this is what happens at the moment of salvation. God in his mercy takes off the blinders. And you realize very quickly the word of God was not a prison that was keeping you in. It's not a prison that was trying to prevent you from knowing satisfaction. It was a shark cage trying to keep you from destruction. You see, in our blindness, all we feel is the bars. In our blindness, all we feel is the bars, and we assume that those bars are bad for us. We assume that those bars are confining for us, but then God in his mercy opens up our eyes, and we see that all along his word has been saving us. It's been preserving us. It's been showing us what it looks like to live in perfect harmony and fellowship with God, a a harmony and a fellowship that we rejected because of sin. And that's why David says that the law of of the Lord is sweet to his taste, sweeter than honey to his mouth. In our blindness, as we feel the bars, we open up our eyes, we saw the dangers, and suddenly those boundaries were not a burden, they were a blessing. As we realized that God was showing us this is what it looks like to be in relationship with me. As he called us back to himself. In the early church, Father Augustine had spent most of his life pursuing happiness and sex and material things. And then one day, uh, he heard a group of children playing and singing a song. And the, the line of the song that he heard over and over again that they were singing was, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. And so he went, just prompted to find a Bible, and he opened it up, and he found Paul's words in the book of Romans. Romans 13, 13 and 14, which says, not carousing not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy, rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And it was in reading these words, he turned from his sin, he professed faith in Christ, and later he was baptized on Easter 387 AD. And later in reflecting on that experience, Augustine wrote the words of his most famous prayer, and it was this, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. He finally understood that the word of God was not a burden. It was not meant to be a barrier that was keeping him from knowing satisfaction. It was a blessing revealing to him satisfaction. 
which could only be found in Jesus Christ. The word of God turned him from the superficial pleasures of sin to authentic satisfaction in Christ. So he found delight in the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the righteous, the word of God is their source of satisfaction, and the word of God is their place of meditation. You know, unfortunately, meditation is uh, so often conflated with, with pagan religions, with Eastern mysticism, that often it's a concept that we misconstrue, even though this is a very clearly biblical principle. But we see this time and time again, all throughout God's word, that we are to be a people who meditate on the word of God. And so meditation, it's, uh, it's an ongoing active pondering. It's an examining. It's a consideration. You could say uh, that it's sort of a, a talking to yourself, a muttering to yourself almost. Anybody else weird and talk to themselves sometimes? I do this all the time. Uh, I'll, if you see me driving, I'll be holding my phone and it looks like I'm having a phone call, but really I'm practicing parts of my sermon for that week. And I just don't want people to think I'm weird while, while they're driving by me. And so that this is really what it means to meditate. It's to talk to yourself. It's to rehearse it. It's to, to immerse yourself in it. It's like a student walking to class and, and rehearsing definitions for a vocabulary exam. This is what we're called to do with the word of God. This is the Deuteronomy 6 picture, day and night. When you lie down and when you wake up, when you're sitting and when you're standing, when you are going out and when you're staying, the word of God should be at the forefront of our minds. Psalmist goes on in one, Psalm 119.97 to say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And here's the picture of the one who does this in verse 3 of Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The Middle East, where this was written from, has a very dry climate, but the picture that we get here is of a tree that's receiving a continual supply of water. It's always bearing fruit, and its leaves do not wither. You know, we have uh, almost a perfect example of this here in the Low Country. We know we're surrounded by these beautiful live oak trees. It's one of my favorite parts uh, about being in Beaufort. But even our live oak trees aren't truly alive 52 weeks a year. It happens very, very quickly. You know, Beaufort does have fall, but it only lasts like 10 days. Like you just, you have to pay really close attention. It's usually still like 80 degrees. So it's not like the mountains where I grew up and you go through a few months. It's a very short period of time, but even our live oak trees have about a two or three week period where the old leaves fall off and the new leaves transition in. But this is not the tree of the righteous. The leaves of the tree of the righteous never wither always bearing fruit, always receiving supply of the living water of the word of God, and by the power of his spirit, we bear fruit. But then we get the opposite picture in verses four through six. That was the picture of the righteous, but verses four through six warn us, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we've seen the way of the righteous, and second now we see the way of the wicked. The righteous are like a tree firmly planted. They're deeply rooted in the word of God. They're constantly supplied by the living water of Christ. They're bearing continual fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit, but not the wicked. The wicked are the totally opposite picture. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. So the opposite picture of what we see with the tree, the, the picture that we hear is of a farmer who's taken wheat to the threshing floor and then chaff are the bits of straw and dry outer shells that cover the seeds. And then uh, as the wheat is taken out, as it's beaten out, the chaff gets carried away by the wind. It's the total opposite of verse three. Total opposite of verse three. The wicked are easily picked up. They're easily driven. They're easily carried along because they have no foundation. They have no roots. They've made themselves the ultimate authority of right and wrong. To them, truth is whatever sounds right and looks right and feels right. 
So they're easily and quickly carried away by what looks and feels and sounds right according to their own subjective experience. That's why Paul encourages and exhorts the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, so that we may no longer be children, watch this, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We only have this foundation when we're rooted and when we're planted in the word of God. Otherwise, we're no better than the wicked who are easily picked up and easily carried along. They constantly change with the winds, regardless of what they hear. If it sounds right, if it feels right, if it looks right, that to them is truth. And church, that is not our calling. We are called to filter every subjective experience, everything we think, everything we feel, everything we hear. We are called to filter it through the perfect truth of the word of God. This is our ultimate authority, and this is our foundation. We see of the wicked that they will not stand with the congregation of the righteous. This is the warning here from the psalm. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, I want you to turn uh, New Testament with me here for just a moment. We're going to look at two different passages. The first one is going to be 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 through 11. So we're going to look there, and then we're going to turn a few pages over uh, to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verses 19 through 21. So 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, and then really quickly after that, we're going to move over to Galatians chapter 5. And, and here's two important pictures that we need to see. These are pictures of those who persist in their wickedness. These are pictures of those who make sin their practice. There's no repentance. There's no conviction. They're going to live openly, brazenly, contradictory lifestyles against the word of God. And this is ultimately going to be the conclusion of that path. So we'll read first, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes here, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So Paul states it here about as plainly as, plainly as it can be spoken. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, is Paul's warning. We see very similar, just a few pages over, in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Before Paul lists out for us what are famously known as the fruits of the Spirit, we also see a picture of the works of the flesh. So Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He says, they stand in clear contrast to the works of the righteous. The works of the flesh are evident. And he goes on to list what all of these are. The works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, church, here's where we need to be careful. Because there's something on both of those lists that touches everybody in this room. And understand, we're the ones who tend to categorize God's word in little sins and big sins, but God's word does not see them this way. Every act of sin is an infinite offense against a holy God. Paul puts group sex and gossip in the same list. And he says of both groups, if this is your ongoing practice, 
unrepentant, just no conviction, no remorse whatsoever. This is your ongoing practice. This is your ongoing habit of life. That person proves they are not truly in Christ and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the clear way of the wicked. It is leading to destruction. The wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And the warnings are here for those who practice these things. So again, let's be clear. We're not talking about those who are in Christ as followers of Jesus. We will still stumble into sin. None of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We will all still stumble into sin. So we're not talking about the follower of Jesus Christ who may have a momentary lapse, but is convicted for their sin, repents from their sin, turns from their sin, continues following Jesus. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Those who practice these things. This is just their ongoing practice. This is what comes naturally to them. No conviction from the Holy Spirit. No concern whatsoever that their lifestyle stands contradictory to the word of God openly, brazenly persists against the authority of God's word, no desire to change or turn. Paul says that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, church, I cringe, my heart breaks and I cringe when I hear a professing brother or sister in Christ. They're confronted for their sin and their snap response is, only God can judge me. And friend, you can give that response, but please do understand, he will judge you. God is a loving father, but he is a just judge, and he will not be mocked. There's no sin that will remain unseen and unpunished. We see back in Psalm chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The second warning for the wicked is that they will not escape the condemnation of the Lord. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. The way of the wicked will perish. I want to turn uh, to one more passage of Scripture this morning, Revelation uh, chapter 21. So, there towards the end of your Bibles, and we're going to read together verses 5 through 8. We find in Revelation 21 both a promise of salvation and also a promise of destruction. Revelation 21, 5 through 8 shows where all of this is going. It shows us the ultimate conclusion of the way of the righteous, and it shows us the ultimate conclusion of the way of the wicked. And in the same way that there are only paths you can take, there are only two eternal destinations where those paths will take you, and they're revealed to us here in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verses 5 through 8, listen to this promise. Listen to this promise. He said, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Don't you long for that? In light of 2020, don't you long for that? He says, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So Jesus is saying, take this to the bank. This is, this is truth. Take this to the bank. Write, these, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of water life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is the promise for the righteous. That is the promise for those who will turn from their sins. That is the promise for those who will put their faith and put their trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The work has been done by Jesus. It's a work we could never do on our own. He gives the living water for free, without price to those who desire. That's the promise for the righteous. But equally, attention that we need to give to is the warning for the wicked. Verse 8, he says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's not politically correct in today's climate. It is largely avoided, unfortunately, even within the church today. Church, listen, Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible. Jesus said of those who are perishing that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. The last couple of weeks, as, as, I've, as I've just wrestled with this text of Scripture, and I've just considered where I am and where we are as a church coming to the end of 2020, it was such a, a tumultuous year in so many ways. Look at the challenges that lie ahead in 2021 and beyond. It's become abundantly clear to me this truth. We've got to be people once again who are burdened over eternity. What would our lives look like if we truly believed that hell was real and Jesus was coming back? How might we share the gospel? How might we live our lives? How might we present ourselves before the Lord? We've got to be burdened for this once again. I shared this back early uh, in the fall, but I wanted to share it again this morning. I had the opportunity back in the fall to sit down with my, uh, my grandfather at his 90th birthday. And uh, if you don't, uh, haven't heard that story before, my grandfather spent uh, uh, over 70, uh, close to 75 years now of his life serving full-time ministry, and he's uh, slowing down a little bit. And so we were just sitting in their living room one night. He's sitting in his chair, and, and, and I just asked him the question. I said, Papa, I said, what was the difference for you? He's, he's really stopped preaching just over the last year. I said, what was the difference for you between preaching over the last five or ten years versus preaching the years before? And he sat there quiet, and he paused for about 10 or 15 seconds, and he gave me this one-line answer. He said, there is no brokenness over sin. I feel it in my life. I see it in the life of our church. I see it in the life of the church. Are we going to be people, once again, who are broken over the reality of sin, who are burdened over the realities of eternity, and what happens for those who refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ? Will we be burdened for this once again? But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Jesus promises, John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into the judgment, but he's passed from death to life. And that is my plea for you today, is to hear his word. I'm not asking you, are you a Christian? Have you grown up in the church? I'm asking you, are, do you follow Jesus? Are you walking in the way of the righteous, actively walking in the way of the righteous? Not, do you know some Bible verses about being righteous? I mean, are you walking in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Have you turned your back against your sin? Have you trust your, put your faith in your only hope in life and death, which is Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in his perfect righteousness, turned from your sin, called on his name so that you could be saved and be made righteous and holy through the finished work of the cross? That's what he calls us to today to delight in his word, to be people with renewed minds, to be people with renewed hearts, to be people with renewed desires. So how do we walk in the way of the righteous? What does it look like for us to walk in this way? And so I want to use this as an opportunity uh, to hopefully help you a little bit personally in your walk with Jesus, but also I want to use this as an opportunity to really set a trajectory for where we're going uh, as a church over the next 12 months. So how do we walk in the way of the righteous? Well, we've seen it in this passage this morning. First, fill your mind with the truth of God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word of God is not a set of shackles on your feet keeping you from walking into freedom. The word of God is a lamp to your feet keeping you from wandering off of a cliff. We need the guidance of the word of God. So many simple, basic errors, so many heresies, so many blasphemies that would be avoided within the church today if only we knew the word of God. 
what has been plainly revealed and preserved for us in the truth of God's word. And so I just want to ask you, how are you going to fill your mind with the word of God in the year ahead? How are you going to live in this word? How are you going to delight in this word? How will you meditate on this word day and night? Over the last several weeks, we've uh, put a few, several things out to you via email, uh, different reading plan opportunities this year. So there's two specific plans uh, we've put forward together as a church this year. One uh, is the F260 reading plan. This is a five-day-a-week plan, so there's a couple of built-in grace days. It's a chronological plan. It doesn't cover every chapter of the Bible, but it does cover every book of the Bible. And so you get a, a good chronological overview. If you've uh, never had the daily discipline of being in God's word. That is a fantastic starting point for you. And so would encourage you, uh, you can sign up for that online. We have hard copies printed out that are available uh, at the Next Steps table this morning. Here's the great thing about these plans. None of them start until tomorrow. So you're not behind. You're good. Like we, we all got three free days to procrastinate this year. And then we get to jump into it tomorrow. But then there's the others. Again, we had uh, many, a couple hundred people in our church last year read through the whole Bible, start to finish. Some books of the Bible read multiple times. And so there is uh, another five-day-a-week chronological plan, but that covers the whole Bible. We have both of those available. Listen, whether it's that plan, uh, the, the partial Bible, the whole Bible, another plan, pick something. You need daily to be submitting yourself to the, to the Word of God, to be shaped and molded and transformed by it. You know, uh, that F260 plan in particular, it's got a subtitle. It says, A Bible Plan for Busy Believers. And, 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 you know, I'm going to be honest, I think that's a good thing in some ways, but I also cringe a little bit at that, and here's why. I think it's good because it's showing you, if you will, just develop the daily discipline, you can read through the Word of God in about 15, 20 minutes a day over the course of a year. It's, it's very, very simple to do, but understand, I think that's meant to be descriptive and not prescriptive. That, that doesn't mean uh, that you should only be spending 15 minutes a day in your Bible. The, the way of the righteous, he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. And so it might be 15 minutes that we read, but then we need 23 hours and 45 minutes of meditating, of chewing, of wrestling with, of personalizing, of, of muttering to ourselves as we internalize the truth of God's word. So uh, beyond reading God's word next year, how will you memorize God's word? That F260 plan has weekly scripture memory, and so I would encourage you to do that. Uh, something I've seen uh, just generating on social media this week, I think it's really cool. People have said, hey, will you comment with your favorite Bible verse? I want to get 52 of them and put one a week in my planner, and, and I want to memorize one of those a week for the rest of the year. And that puts you in community with other friends, with other believers who uh, you're learning, man, what, what, what verses of scripture are driving my friends and my family. Uh, Fighter Verses is a great app that's available by Desire, from Desiring God. I think it's like a $3 download. That's one that I I use. Uh, very, very helpful. What's going to be your plan for memorizing the Word of God, for meditating upon the Word of God? And listen, if you're struggling to trust the Word of God, if you have questions about the authority of the Word of God, its accuracy, its reliability, its integrity, uh, next week, should I have it right uh, here with me? Next week, we're going to give out a free copy of R.C. Sproul's book, Can I Trust the Bible? Uh, short book, right? Amen. 2021, we don't like to read. Short book, but if you really struggle to trust the authority, the reliability of Scripture, this is a great starting point resource for you. If you're here next week, we'll put this in your hands for free. Fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. Carry a Bible with you on Sunday morning. There's no replacement for you opening up the text, seeing these things for yourself, making your notes. This is how we internalize and memorize and learn the Word of God. You know, one of the biggest struggles that we have when it comes to being in the Word sometimes is just a lack of accountability. And so second, as we walk in the way of the righteous this year, I want to encourage you to surround yourself with the community of God's people. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we need to be surrounded by godly community. 
that are helping us fill our hearts and minds with the truth of God's word. The word of God was never meant to be read and studied exclusively in isolation. So I just want to ask you, what does this look like for you in the year ahead? For all of us, it should look like the simple discipline of doing what we're doing right now. It's the priority of gathering together for worship as the body of Christ. The primary reason we gather is to center on God's word, is to hear once again the proclamation of the gospel. It's to be taught verse by verse the things of God's word, the principles and the precepts of scripture. So we need uh, something just as simple as as church attendance. But we would encourage you, Cole talked about earlier, join a community group. Uh, We're returning after a short break in the fall. Uh, This spring, all of our community groups are sermon-based discussion. This is based on what we see in the book of Acts chapter 17, that the Bereans, uh, they listened to the things that the apostles were teaching, and then throughout the week, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. And so that's my way of saying this morning, listen, don't take my word for it. Check me. You know why false teaching persists in the church today is because nobody's checking the teachers. So don't just take my word for it. Like, I'm a fallible human being. I'm not the Pope. Like, and he's fallible too. That might offend you, but that's true. Nobody's infallible. Like all of us are capable of erring and making mistakes. You even see the apostles at times correcting the apostles in the New Testament. We need the community of God's uh, people searching the scriptures together. And so community groups gather, they come together, use these sermon notes that we give you, take notes, ask questions. That is your opportunity to continue internalizing the word of God as you gather together in community with other believers. For others, it might look like taking a bigger step of commitment and becoming a covenant member of this church family or of another church family. One of the most subversive things that we can do in this culture of non-commitment is be fully devoted to the church of Jesus Christ. We say unapologetically, unashamedly, it's not popular today. Church membership is a thoroughly biblical principle. We can prove it to you and show it to you in scripture. We do this in our Crosspoint class. God's design and desire for every follower of Jesus Christ is not to be a church hopper or consumer, but be devoted to one single body of believers. Yes, we are all part of the big C church of all believers in all places, but the New Testament shows us a clear pattern of believers who are committed to one single local church. That is how the mission of the gospel best advances. And so whether it's in this congregation or another, I would encourage you, surround yourself with the community of God's people in the year ahead. But ultimately, all of this is only possible if we do this third thing, which is to be made righteous by faith in God's Son. You can only walk in the way of the righteous if you have been made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. The reality today is that you and I cannot simply choose to become righteous. You can't just wake up tomorrow morning and resolve in 2021, I will be righteous. You can no more tomorrow morning wake up and decide to be righteous than I can wake up tomorrow morning and decide to be the Queen of England. It just doesn't work that way. But in John 14, Jesus promised his disciples, he, he said of his father's house, he said there are many rooms and where he was going, he was going to prepare a place for them and that they knew the way to where he was going. It's one of my favorite interchanges in all of scripture where Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where we are going. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's where Jesus gives him the answer. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, this is the way. Jesus is not just our destination. Jesus is our direction. Jesus is not just where we're going. Jesus is how we're getting there. He knows the way of the righteous because he is the way of the righteous. He has lived the perfectly righteous, blameless life that you and I could never live. None of us could ever hope to attain anything that we've looked at this morning in Psalm 1, all of these other scriptures on our own. We can't just wake up and decide to do this. But what you can do is you can bow your knees and you can call on his name and you can be saved. 
You can call on the name of the one who took your sin so that you could become his righteousness. He is the good shepherd who leads us in the paths of righteousness. We saw it last summer, and he leads us in those paths for the sake of his name. God has put his own name and his own reputation on the line for your salvation so you can rest assured he's not going to let you go. And he's going to see you through to the end. Church, this is the way. Jesus is that way, and our calling as followers of Jesus Christ in the year ahead is to return to that way as it's been revealed in the person of work in Jesus Christ and as it's been preserved in the authority of God's word. So, Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for how you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect righteousness that we couldn't be because, Father, we are only wicked. We have only our wickedness to bring to the table. We are completely incapable of resolving this on our own. So, Father, if we are to resolve anything at the beginning of this new year, let it be that we will call on you in faith and be saved, and we will walk in your righteousness by the power of your Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be people who are immersed in your word, who are constantly connected to your word, that we could be like trees that are constantly receiving the flow of living water through your Son, Jesus Christ. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to bear fruit for your glory. And Lord, fruit that's not just for our sake, but for the sake of a world that is starving and needing of the truth. Father, help us to boldly, unflinchingly, and unapologetically stand on this truth. To call sinners to repentance. To be broken over the realities of sin in this world. And Father, in this year, to turn back to you. So as we prepare for communion here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to uh, keep your heads bowed with me here for just a moment as we uh, just have a few minutes of, of prayer and reflection. There are only one of two ways that you are walking. You are either walking in the path of the wicked, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, with yourself as your own authority, a path that will lead you to destruction, or you can walk in the way of faith in Jesus Christ. You can find true pleasure. You can find true satisfaction. You can find true happiness and joy in Him. What better decision could you make at the beginning of a new year to start actually living? to step out of the path that's leading to destruction and step into the path that will lead to your salvation. And Jesus is that way. Jesus is that path. And so listen, if that is you this morning, listen, there's no gray area according to God's word. We're in or we're out. That's you this morning. My plea to you, my prayer to you would be that today, you would not delay one second, one minute, one more day. You would today call on the name of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Put your full confidence and faith in his perfect righteousness, his perfect finished work, his death on a cross, his resurrection. Put your faith in this, in this alone. Because this is the way. This is the way to be saved. And brothers and sisters, maybe there just needs to be a moment this morning. Maybe there's just small sins in your life. Again, we make those categories, not God. Maybe just some areas of complacency where you just need to let the Holy Spirit search your heart this morning. Reveal to you some areas where you've, you've grown complacent. Some sins that you have glanced over and glossed over. You just need to lay that bare at the feet of Jesus this morning and find redemption and repentance 
and forgiveness in his name. So in just a moment, we're gonna come to the table where we are reminded of the weight of our sin. It costs the perfect son of God his life to save us. We are reminded as we come to the table of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, a body that was broken, blood that was shed so that you and I could be saved. So before we come to the table this morning, take just a moment, search your heart. I'm just gonna let it be silent here for a couple of moments. Just search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your sin. Confess that sin, repent of that sin, turn from that sin, and step into the path of perfect righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Just take a moment to reflect and repent and respond. Father, search our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Reveal the sin that we cannot see because of our blindness. Open up our eyes to see your truth. Open up our eyes to see the joy of repentance and salvation in your name. As we come to this table this morning, Lord, as we set a trajectory for a new year, would we resolve in this moment to stand confidently in the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ. To proclaim his death until you return. Father, we beg you and we plead for the sake of our community, for the sake of a nation, for the sake of this world, would you pour out your Holy Spirit. Turn us from our wickedness toward your righteousness. Help us to find true happiness in you. Be glorified now as we sing, as we come to your table, as we remember your death. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.